Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and this week on the Health Connect South radio show, we featured a couple of Atlanta-based organizations that facilitate clinical trials from a couple of different directions using technology. Bethany Bray is the CEO of Autocruitment, and they've developed a technology platform that identifies patients who are seeking out clinical trials and link them up with studies that they could benefit from, obviously helping the clinical trial achieve the numbers that it needs to have statistical significance. And Ryan Jones is the CEO of Florence Healthcare, and they're an organization that identified the fact that in these clinical trials, typically there's multiple sites that are involved in a study having to transfer data in between them many times that it ends up being on paper instead of electronic. The organization is able to leverage technology to digitize many of those pieces of data and facilitate a faster pace of transfer of that data securely from point A to point B. Here's Bethany talking about how and why they do what they do. We've developed a platform that allows us to really target patients We recruit them for clinical trials. I used to work at Imperial College in London and then again at Winship Cancer Institute and just meeting the patients and then seeing how much they enjoy being part of a clinical trial, the hope that it gave them, just made me want to find more clinical trials for more patients. So really, I'm driven more probably from the patient's perspective. And here's Ryan talking about Florence Healthcare and the problem they solve for clinical trials. We solve a data access problem in the clinical trial space, and as a result, we help new medicines get to market. I think it's a nice compliment to Bethany. You know, I don't have a clinical background. I have a software and a document management and data access background. And so what excites me is, after spending time in this space in both my at Microsoft in my last business and in this business, it's clear that data access is a important bottleneck to getting new therapies to market. And knowing what I've seen, it's so obvious to me and it's so obvious to our team that this is a problem we're solving to help people. Stick around. We got the full interview with Bethany Bray and Ryan Jones coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall here on Health Connect South, our 28th episode. Oh, I, it, just, it feels like yesterday that we were here talking last week. Gosh, right. this used to be a really, I mean, it started as a good idea. Now we have mass. People are listening. We have, we have an audience. That's right. That's Diana Keogh, our co-host and partner in crime here on the Health Connect South Radio Show. She's the CEO and founder of Sherwick Media Group. And if you're listening and not familiar with Sherwick Media Group, they're an organization that can help your company tell its story. We know nowadays that inbound marketing is a very key component to getting the word out about what you do. Video is quickly becoming one of the largest media through which people do that. And uh, their, their experts at Sherwick Media Group help you do that in a high-quality fashion. If you go see some of their work, you'll be impressed. And they also do, um, with their journalists, they produce a wide variety of pieces uh, from healthcare to other topics where mm -hmm. they can help you flesh out your social media and website material so that people want to come back and stay connected to you for great information. So thanks for uh, helping make this show possible. Well, our, our pleasure. 
And it's been really exciting for me to be able to be a part of the Health Connect South radio show and helping them fulfill their mission. Obviously, as we stated in the intro, it's all about helping identify the assets that we have available here in the Atlanta area and beyond, um, making sure that all these organizations know about the other possible resources that they have available to them. These two organizations we're going to be talking to today, I'm definitely going to be making sure that some of our previous guests know about them. If they don't already, we'll be looking at experts in the field of clinical trials, helping to facilitate those from a couple of different directions. So I'm really pleased to introduce our, our listeners to them. Uh, we have Bethany Bray, the CEO of Auto Recruitment. Thanks for taking some time. Thank you so much for having me. And then we've got Ryan Jones also uh, from Florence Healthcare. He's the CEO of that organization. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Good morning. And um, let's start with you, Bethany. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get to this place? What's your story? So um, I did my master's in translational medicine, so all clinical trials um, at Imperial College in London, and then actually was recruited to come and work at the Winship Cancer Institute. So saw a lot of clinical trials, pretty much like a lot of entrepreneurs saw the problem. Um, and wanted to solve it and then went over to Georgia Tech to do my MBA and it was actually whilst I was there that we you know started building the platform um, Chris Klaus is one of our founders and helped build the platform with us and we started to get customers and kind of went from there and what was the big problem I guess how do we find patients to let them know that we're doing this study, I guess, was the problem you're trying to solve, obviously. Yeah. So um, patient recruitment is actually the second largest problem in clinical trials, both in terms of time and cost. It's actually responsible for 40% of the cost. Wow. So, yeah. And then when you meet the patients, you see how much they want to take part. So it really is kind of a matchmaking problem. And so in the past, before you came along, how, how did patients actually find out about clinical trials? So people still use a lot of TV and radio, um, which does work for some patient populations, but kind of for the rarer ones that we work with, it's just not cost effective. You have to have so many people see a TV ad to get kind of the 800 patients they need for an MS study. Um, but you'd be surprised, still a lot of TV, radio, even print advertising, signs on Marta, um, just people kind of wanting to be seen to be doing something when it's not really actually effective. So there was not a clearinghouse for all clinical trials, like the government didn't have something that was set up? There is um, clinicaltrials.gov, which we actually use to find a lot of our clients. So it lists every clinical trial that's happening within the U.S., um, but it's really hard for patients to navigate. It's not very clear kind of who to contact. Sometimes there is no contact information. Um, it's kind of used more internally for, I guess, people like us to find the studies that are going on. Um, there are other people that are doing similar things. Um, definitely a lot of kind of competitors springing up trying to solve the same problem, but there's not really a clear-cut one right now. And so does it, with what you're doing also, does it kind of um, clearly state what the criteria is on, on what, what needs to happen or what, where you need to be health-wise to be part of this and explain how that works? So we actually take a more generic approach to finding patients. Um, the patients that we find, first of all, before we ever start advertising to a patient online, um, we're going to basically know that they're going to want to take part in a clinical trial. So we kind of build a footprint ab about them. Um, we can see what disease they have. We can see that they're frustrated by their treatment options. And then we're going to start advertising to them. 
But when we advertise to them, we're not talking about a specific trial. We're just speaking about a specific indication. Um, so then they're going to come onto our platform and answer a number of questions. And that's what allows us to match them automatically to a clinical trial. So they're not having to read through a bunch of inclusion and exclusion criteria. We actually do that automatically ourselves. And so you said that you advertise to them. Where are you actually finding these patients then? So we find patients all over the internet. Um, we use 400 different channels to reach patients, um, WebMD, drugs.com, um, pretty much any healthcare-related website. And they're going to see banner ads on the side of web pages that um, advertise our service. I see. So you're really relying heavily on the, the digital advertising medium to let someone know this resource is available to Yeah, it's to them. all digital. Everything that we do is but, digital. But there's still a certain age group that is not actually active on the Internet. So how do you actually, you know, a lot of these, these diseases actually don't hit until, you know, the, the 50s or the 60s or even the 70s. So how are you finding those types of patients? You'd be surprised. We get asked that a lot. Um, we actually can even find Alzheimer's patients online. So it's it's amazing. Is it through their caregivers? A lot of caregivers, but we also actually have Alzheimer's patients sign up, um, which is unbelievable. But I think that People are kind of turning more and more to the internet now. It's something ridiculous, like 80% of people that use the internet for to look up health information. Um, so we actually do find a lot of older people. Um, and then we'll use other kind of mediums to find them. Interesting. And so, like, how? what's your business model? How are you actually getting paid? Um, so that's a good question. Um, so we get paid by the pharmaceutical companies um, or the big hospitals that are running the studies. So they essentially would use us instead of um, a TV or radio or print advertising campaign. Um, it's definitely hard to be kind of something new. Um, so in order to get around that, we have kind of a pay per patient model where they're only paying us for the patients we send. So if they don't trust digital advertising, there's really nothing for them to lose. We'll literally sit down with them and they'll say the kind of patient that they want, um, the location they want them to live in, and we'll go out and find them and then they'll pay for each referral. Interesting. And so it's not as though that they use you exclusively. It's kind of like, okay, we'll try you along with everything else that we're doing. And so how is that working out? It works out pretty well. We have a good sales team who like the word pilot. Um, so we do a lot <laughs> of pilots. And then we actually do have most people convert into kind of a more of a monthly um, reoccurring program, which is great. I mean, it shows that they're getting the results they want. So as soon as they turn it on with you, then patients start flowing in. And what's do you have some metrics on how it's working for the trials that you're interfacing with? Yeah, so the industry average is to get, I think, one in 20 patients into a trial. So one in 20 patients sent by kind of a TV or radio would get into a trial. For us, it's more like one in six, just because the patients have been screened down automatically um, by answering questions online. And then because we really are advertising to people that really want to take part in a clinical trial, our algorithms kind of pick that out before we ever advertise to them. Um, so it just means that our conversion rates are much higher, which people love. They're not kind of having to speak to 20 people to get one into a study. Explain to me how it works. So I am a patient. Um, I have Alzheimer's, for example. Tell me how this works. So you, if you were a patient with Alzheimer's and went to WebMD, for example, and looked up Alzheimer's and then potentially the next day went to um, another website and looked up treatment options, 
um, for Alzheimer's and then went in the next day and looked up something else relating, maybe went to a social group for Alzheimer's. We would then tag you as either a caregiver or a patient um, and start advertising to you. And that's where you would see banner ads on the side of web pages asking if you wanted to join the autocreamant platform and learn about trials. And so would I actually see those banner ads on Facebook as well? No? No. So we get around kind of the creepy effect by only showing them on um, healthcare-related websites. So for the pa- from the patient's perspective, they don't feel like we're kind of harassing them. Um, those ads are only going to show when you're on kind of a health-related website, probably looking up something to do with Alzheimer's again. So, and do you have to actually pay for the advertising then that shows up on these sites? Yeah, so we have relationships um, with a lot of the websites directly, um, and then we also use search engines as well. We use all three of the big search engines too to advertise through. So this background, I mean, you actually were working at Winship. I mean, to go from working with the patients to then doing this, uh, uh, what was that transition like? Um, so I love it. We first originally, now things are a little bit more sophisticated and the patient will sign up and their information is automatically transmitted to the hospital who then calls them. But when we first started, we actually would call the patients ourselves. Um, and it was just really rewarding to be able to call a patient and say, we found a trial for you and hear how excited they were. Um, but yeah, it definitely was a big transformation from kind of healthcare to more technology. I had to learn a lot of new buzzwords. And are you missing the patient interaction? Um, I don't think so. I did a lot of lab work while I was at Emory. Um, so I spent a lot of time away from patients there. Um, I think that I feel like I'm doing something probably for the greater good. So that still makes me feel like I'm doing something for patients. And we've been talking with Bethany Bray, the CEO of Auto Recruitment. They're an organization that has developed a platform that helps recruit patients to clinical trials that are in need of finding folks to participate. And if if I am on one of the medical websites and I see your banner ad and I'm intrigued, I've, I have a loved one or myself, I'm dealing with uh, an issue that it's talking about, um, what happens to me there? Once I click the link, then I'm taking to the interface that, where it starts to inquire about yeah, my so situation. we would start to ask you questions um, about your health, um, and that's where the platform will then use its algorithms to match you to one of the trials we're searching for patients for. Um, and then when you are matched in real time, your information would get sent to the hospital or research site running that study, um, and then they would reach out and call you. So it's very, from end to end, you should get a call within 24 hours of signing up. Is there a geography attached to that? Does it, know, it knows where I'm at, so it's going to recommend trials that are nearby or in a relative proximity. So our advertising is geo-targeted. We're really only going to advertise to you if we have trials in that area. I see. Um, but then again, yeah, we would ask your zip code and how far you're willing to travel, um, and that then, again, matches you to the trials. So that and the creep factor doesn't exist on WebMD? Because I still think that's a little bit... I think that... Well, the people that would find us creepy probably never sign up, so we don't get to speak to them. Um, but mainly patients are just really relieved to kind of have found a solution. They are actually looking for something, so I think they don't mind. It's not kind of like someone reminding you about a pair of shoes you don't need. Um, but then again, I'm sure some people do find it creepy, um, but we probably don't speak to them. With, with regards to what is displayed, 
is it more generic? We have clinical trials available. See what's see what might apply to you, or does it? Are you able to get a little bit more targeted? If I'm navigating to a page where I'm looking at Alzheimer's, are you able to then display something on a clinical trial available on Alzheimer's? Are you able to get that granular? Yeah, we try and always um, have the disease mentioned. I think as we get bigger and have just a multitude of different trials, we'll probably just have clinical trials, and then you can select which disease. Um, but for now, we mention the disease. And then we have some hospitals that like us to mention them specifically. Um, so we do really pretty much a multitude of things. But in the future, it will probably be less granular, um, just as we kind of have more and more trials. Are there certain disease states that you're actually emphasizing at this point just to kind of get the bugs worked out and everything else? So we started off doing pretty much anything and everything just to see what we were good at. Um, but we're learning over time we're better at certain things. We're really good at oncology. Um, we're really good at neuro diseases, especially kind of the rarer ones. Um, and then very good at kind of the diabetes and things. But then those aren't as hard to recruit for. But, yeah, no, we definitely over time kind of we'll do pretty much anything and I mean we don't lose money but there are definitely some that we're not great at but it's kind of part of our R&D we call it. Now when we were talking um, a couple of days ago uh, learning a little bit about the the organization we talked clearly about the fact that one of the big thrusts of the the platform is to recruit for uh, clinical trials but there are other applications for what you're doing and can you talk about that in terms of helping an organization maybe locate patients that their clinical service maybe it's a particular type of physician practice or a particular type of healthcare delivery organization that could help a patient population you can actually help them reach those patients as well yeah so um kind of more and more our clients would say this is great but we want to use this for not just the clinical trial unit of the hospital but actually for the general hospital um, I think that our hesitation in doing that is that for clinical trials, some can be a little bit easier. Um, but we've started actually now, and we do recruit patients just for general procedures at hospitals. And actually, some of our investors are trying to get us to pretty much um, zone out and also do that as well as a kind of a mainstream part of the business. Because, yes, yeah, certainly one patient, if they're looking for a clinical trial or looking for a new treatment option, um, they essentially are a great candidate for kind of just switching provider or switching physicians. And and that's what you were talking about was for those for that particular part of the business um, that you find them based on searches around physician types or looking for if I'm looking for a particular specialist I'm looking for an oncologist I'm looking for in our case a a wound specialist yeah that that based on that search that's what triggers your display, if you will. Yeah, so then we would be looking for patients who are essentially frustrated with their current physicians or treatment options, and it kind of lends itself pretty well. Ultimately, someone that's ferociously like searching online is someone that's kind of looking for a new provider or a new physician or a new treatment, um, which is why it works so well. So yeah, we would be searching for people that were wanting to change physicians. Um, their physician didn't have the treatment option they were looking for. And then we'd start advertising to them. So there is that driven by, in terms of what you display, because obviously if I'm looking for a new clinical provider versus trying to find out if there's some sort of study going on that I can participate in, that I can gain some measure of hope and maybe a new treatment for uh, a difficult-to-treat disease, is my keyword search, is that what's driving what displays to me, I guess, then since, since some of those display um, banners can be driven by the 
So it's search terms. That's what happens when you use Google. Um, ours kind of goes three or four steps further. So in order for Google to start advertising to you, they go off keywords. So you're mm. just going to have to type something in once. Um, we are basically a little bit more selective in that you have to do something three or four times um, just because we don't want to waste any money on advertising. Um, but yeah, essentially, it's going to be you just entering that keyword or going to those pages three or four times within a month, and then we'll start advertising to you. So give me an example of that. So if I'm a hospital, I have now hired you. Um, what, as a patient, what am I typing in for me to actually come into your orbit? So someone, so oncology is kind of the best area for this. Um, so you would be potentially looking for a second opinion for um your, if you had breast cancer, you'd be looking for a second opinion. It's not just typing things in, it's also web pages you would go to. So if you were looking for a new physician or looking for a second opinion or looking up a new treatment option or side effects of your current treatment, then we would start advertising to you. Um, and oncology units will offer kind of reasons to switch. They'll say that they'll see you for a free consultation or they'll give you a second opinion within 24 hours. Um, so we'd be advertising kind of their offering then. Okay. Without exposing the guts of, of what you're doing, I think it's intriguing how you can know CW looked for a wound specialist in Atlanta, but he only did it once, so it was no big deal. In terms of, I, I guess the what what is essentially happening then is the Googles of the world, the Bings, whatever the search um, organizations that you're linking up with, they're obviously tracking measurements of oh he did this search several times so you can actually get that granular on that side of the when you to use google uh, as an example you can tell them hey when when the individual searches for this particular topic over over time in a you know several times in a period then you can actually start to define it in that fashion yeah you can i mean you'd be surprised how much google and other search engines know about you um, but yeah, essentially, we use a lot of their information, a lot of Yahoo, a lot of Bing's information. And then we'll just take all that data and basically repurpose it, put our algorithms on top of it, and then choose who to advertise to. Um, but yeah, they know a lot about you. And that sometimes is scary. But yeah, we had that kind of conversation with health grades um, when they were here. We talked about the fact that they're using data that's not health at all to predict my health outcomes yeah to to determine how i'm going to make decisions about my health care yeah how many contacts are on my phone how many uh how many cars do we have do we lease or do we own do we where do i live yeah Yeah. all of that stuff i have a friend that does that that they can help hospitals realize what your risk of readmission will be based on yeah Mm -hmm. um it's an interesting area (laughs) but it's based on some of the same things that you're talking about um do you have some information for folks to to so that they can you know where do, where do they need to go and and link up with with your resources? So um, we actually just added a patient access to our website, so patients can go to our access, which is www.autocruitment.com, and then similarly we have obviously a um, people can track us and follow us through our website as well. If, you know more corporate groups or hospitals that are looking to help have help finding patients. And for you, what? 
what is the big resource that you're lacking? I mean, we talked the other day, one of the big things that we're trying to do is not only just let people know, because uh, I'm going to make sure the Laura Stanleys of the world know you're here, um, but what do you need when you sit around the boardroom thinking, geez, we, if we had this resource, if we had this kind of partnership, we could expand this. If only we could meet so-and-so. Right. Yeah. So I think actually Russ helped us a lot. We met with him a while ago. Um, we were focusing a lot on pharmaceutical companies and CROs who still are, you know, most of our clients. But now we're starting to work with hospitals um, and they're great for us and we're great for them because essentially they're not just doing one trial. Sometimes they're doing 200. So if you're a, you know, an MS patient, you may not get into one trial. But you're going to get into another one. So we're really looking for more hospital clients, and obviously our sales team is starting to target them. Um, but I think just in terms of you know hospitals, we're always looking for sales. Um, and then we also are looking for help in marketing, if anyone's really good at that, because that's definitely something we're lacking in. Well, we need to link you up with Georgia Core also. I'm sure you're familiar with them, but their big focus is clinical trials in the oncology world around Georgia. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. How about you, Ryan? Talk about your background and what ultimately led you to be inspired to take on this problem you identified around the flow of data and how it can slow down the pace of clinical trials and how it can be an inhibiting factor in the pace at which new medicines and other therapies reach the community. Yeah, like, what's a nice boy like you doing? In... <laughs> I know. How do I end up here? Exactly. You started out in radio. We were talking about that before we went on sleeping. air today. Sleeping. Yeah. Sleeping well. during sleep, my shift. Yeah. Sleepwalking through radio. It's true. Yeah. I'm a document management guy, a document management software guy, which not only makes me uh, the most fun guy at parties, it uh, luckily positions me and my team to make an important change in this industry right when it needs it. Um, I started my career at Microsoft. I managed the SharePoint product there, which was their core document management product that not only catered to the healthcare industry, but you know, financial services, retail, all sorts of industries. Um, and then got exposed deeply to healthcare and to the pharmaceutical space when I met a doctor at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston who said that he was spending too much time organizing and accessing medical journal articles, and he wished he had a way to organize them better. I said, well, gosh, I know a little bit about that, and that sounds more important than making software in Seattle, so let's go try that. And we had a good outcome. We, we built a little startup business from two guys in the MIT Student Center to a, a, a tool that was available at 600 medical centers around the world. Uh, and we had six of the 10 largest pharmas as our, our customer for, for that document management organizational problem. Um, and uh, then I was lucky enough to marry a Southern girl and move here to Atlanta and uh, ran into a, a similar sort of equation. I, I met a, a young doc out of Emory who was passionate about how uh, data flowed through the clinic. And we and another fellow out of AirWatch here in Atlanta, mm -hmm. uh, the data security company, um, spent the last year uh, investigating the space that that uh, we thought we could help win, and that's that's clinical trials. And I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued when it deals with how, how does AirWatch play into that, just, just securing that? Well, let me give you a little insight. Um, on the clinical trials process, you know, Bethany's team helps get the trials started by finding the patients. We help get the trials finished by moving the data. Uh, and so in a given phase three study, sort of the middle of the curve study as a drug gets tested in the clinic, uh, almost 900,000 data points can be collected on a, on a single patient. Um, 
And today that's largely done starting with paper. The nurses and doctors that are handing out the experimental medication or experimental device, uh, they record the patient's condition and the results uh, on a piece of paper and then type it into a database. And there was a, a funny thing that happened two years ago um, where the industry hit a boiling point and the costs the industry was spending on what are called trial monitors to send auditors out to these doctors and nurses offices to audit this paper uh, got to be too much. And so the FDA passed new regulations that said you could do that electronically. Um, getting back to your question, why AirWatch? Now that is digital data okay. moving from hospitals, and you need to have that highly secure in order to, to help okay. this community. I, I thought it was interesting because I was more or less under the assumption that today that the digital data entry is the way it would be since, well, not everybody has EMRs. 85% or so was the last number I heard have EMRs. So I'm assuming they would be tapping it into a tablet or tapping it into a computer while they're taking my data. It's amazing, isn't it? We are at the, the frontier. The reason why I think, you know, Bethany and, and our businesses are thriving right now is on the heels of EHR deployment, the healthcare industry has gotten much more comfortable with digital in general. And so that, you know, you needed this EHR wave to happen, and then companies like ours could come in its wake and make changes in other parts of the business. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and so, I mean, what when are you passing? You're, you're controlling the data in terms of you're you're making sure it flows from this entity over to that entity. I mean, what's the problem with that data that you're yeah. that you're handling? And so the data is sort of the the boring bit. Let's think about what's actually going on between right. the patient, the nurses and doctors, and you know the Pfizer's, the Roche's, and the Novartis's of the world that get this done. Um, in the beginning, uh, those drug companies want to move from animal trials into human trials, and they need to first recruit patients in order to do that. Um, but then it's very important for them to take care of those patients. And one of the ways that they take care of those patients is by documenting how the patient is when they show up, but also what happens as they take that new experimental medication. And that ha happens in the terminology of our industry all the way from a phase one trial, which is the very earliest test through phase four where it's out in the market already and they're just sort of making sure. Um, that process takes up reams, in fact, one reams of paper. In fact, one Pfizer study had two tractor trailer loads that we're, in, we're engaging with right now of documentation on the patients. Um, and what gets us up every morning to go to work is um, the fact that that's getting in the way of the pace of cures getting the market. So um, new medicines that might help um, your aunt, that might help your grandparents, that might help your child, um, they're, in my opinion, two in things that are getting in the way of those getting the market. One is making sure the patients that can benefit from them in the experimental phase know about the trial. That's Bethany's business. And making sure the data gets out so that the pharma like Pfizer can make an FDA submission and get the drug approved. That's our business. And so now you guys aren't doing any kind of necessarily statistical analysis on the findings. You're you're more handling the information, getting it from A to B. We're, in, we're in a UPS. We're data logistics. We're UPS for the clinical trial space. 
once the data is collected in one place, a, a big study may have 100 trial sites that they're relying on. And a trial site could be anything from a prestigious institution like Emory and the Winship Cancer Center to Harvard, but it could also be your doctor down the street. And so as a result, those are scattered all over the country and, in fact, all over the world. And that requires logistics, actually, to collect up the data about how those yeah. patients are doing. And what we found is the old way of doing things by sending these auditors from Pfizer, again, to use that company as an example, out to these dozens or hundreds of trial sites, um, it was cumbersome in a couple of ways. They were paying a ton of money to put these folks on planes right. to show up. And uh, as a necessity, then, it only happened a few times a year. And so now that it's digital and you have companies like Florence managing the logistics of getting that data back, they can know how those patients are doing almost overnight. Um, so not only does the trial go faster, but patient care can be better. So how do you facilitate that logistical change? Yeah, so how does this work? So walk us through, yeah. like, you know, we've, we've already entered the trial. What happens then? Yeah, so, you know, Bethany's business helps get the, the patient through the door, matches someone who's been looking for an experimental therapy with a doctor's office that can provide it. Um, that doctor's office is working for the pharmaceutical company that's, that's making that experimental drug. Um, the patient shows up and meets a nurse and a doctor, and they spend time with the patient and start documenting what's going on with their medical history, how this disease or condition has been affecting them. Uh, from that point on, there'll be several other visits and, and reams of data that get collected. And you mentioned EHRs. EHRs are, just did reach 85% penetration. So most doctor's offices have digital infrastructure. What's been astounding to me and the reason that I want to solve this problem as the mission of my life is because there's a different EHR in just about every one of these hospitals and doctor's offices, what happens is the nurses and doctors take bits and they turn them into atoms in order to work with it. So they take an EHR record, they'll type up the patient's history, they'll then print it onto a piece of paper and stick it into a three-ring binder and leave that binder for the trial site and leave that binder for the, the drug company that consumed the data that way because there's no I direct see. connection, right? So the interoperability piece between the EHRs is what forces it to be put onto paper. And as unsexy as it is, uh, that's our mission to solve. So we're able to, our software um, can collect up patient data from faxes that come in from the laboratory, from the EHR at across several different doctor's offices, and from the interactions that happen at that one doctor's office, and make it accessible to the company that's putting on the trial, whereas without interoperability like that, they couldn't get access to that data. So how is it picking up fax machines? Is it digitally, or is it actually scanning the document itself? Yeah, and, and so like Bethany, we're taking a a technology that's pretty well established in horizontal applications, but the time is right for healthcare. And so one of the ways that we take this horizontal application, which is like at, at our core, we're kind of like Dropbox or Google Drive or a folder system that can collect documents from different places. That's not all that special. What's special about us is how we integrate without requiring IT organizations to get involved with email, fax, the EHR at the office, and the scanner at the office. And by allowing the nurses to actually set that up in a couple clicks, we can just snag it directly. So for the example in the fax machine, um, we create a, what's called a fax proxy, 
which is an industry, another industry buzzword in Bethany's <laughs> long line of new technology industry buzzwords, um, which acts like kind of listens into the fax traffic as it comes through the doctor's office. We create an email proxy that listens into the email traffic at the, at the doctor's office, and we create a EHR proxy that when the clinician decides can send certain records straight into this Dropbox-like service. Um, effectively, we're emulating what's going on with paper already. They're using the printer to make that connection today, print out a fax, print out an email, print out an EHR, and we just snag it as it goes through the air instead. I was actually surprised I had to get uh, medical records for one of my children in an Ohio hospital, and they actually had me print out something off of the Internet and fax it to them. And I don't have a fax machine. And I said, can I, I scan either. this? And they're like, no, you have to fax it. And I had to actually go to Kinko's to fax something. <laughs> Pay $10 probably. Yeah, so. you've had the experience that's preventing new therapies from getting to market. I couldn't be more excited about that. That's, <laughs> that's happening thousands of times a day at the best medical institutions in the world. And it's insanity. And so we're here to solve that problem. All right. Well, so let me, I'll even go deeper into this whole discussion because I actually, my son's 25. There's no way I should be calling his doctor's office to get these medical records. He called and was told that he actually couldn't get them. And I, you know, I'm a medical reporter and I'm from Ohio. So I actually call, I've interviewed this doctor multiple times. So I actually called the receptionist because I know her and I said, you mean to tell me that we can't get these medical records? Like he can't call you and get these medical records, and and I that's the only reason we got them. And then I had to fax them. So Bethany mentioned that uh, her sales team is getting used to the word pilot. So the biggest challenge that we face as entrepreneurs in this space is sensitivity to change and sort of a skepticism around new technology, around changing behavior patterns. Um, and that's a perfect example. If you were dealing with um, getting a charge on a credit card question, or if you're dealing with applying for a home loan, any other industry, uh, you wouldn't have that sort of mysterious process. Um, a lot of that is going away. And again, I think the Affordable Care Act at forcing EHR penetration um, was a big part of that. Um, but we still face it, and it's still a, a slog for technology companies like ours to get around those sort of behavior changes like what you're talking about. Yeah, and plus, plus, I mean, I'm, I hope you don't have to deal with the receptionist because I think they all <laughs> go to school to learn how to be rude. But Yeah, we talked about that yeah. one time, too. That yeah. was, uh, that's baffling. So how do you, how are you making money, Ryan? Who's uh, paying you? Yeah, and in, in this marketplace, they refer to trial sites as sites, and they refer to the pharmaceutical and device manufacturers as sponsors, and that's what they do, sponsors, sponsor things. Um, so all the cash in the industry flows from them on down as they want to get these drugs approved, and that's, that's how we, uh, we make money, too. Our value proposition for the drug and device companies of the world is that we help get trials done at a much lower cost. Uh, in fact, we can shave about 15 to 20% off of a trial, uh, and we help it get done much faster because they're not flying people around the world to show up in person when they don't have to. Is this going to actually prevent um, medications getting to market that shouldn't get to market? <laughs> uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Right now, one of the hot debates in our space is the 21st Century Cares Act, which which legislatively lowered some of the barriers for new medicines to get to market, saying that the amount of rigor associated with testing a drug can be lower than it used to be. Um, we actually think that it will just be better. It'll be more accurate. The drugs, if you use technology, the drugs that should get to market um, 
will get to market and the drugs that shouldn't shouldn't um, compare that state to one where again you had to schedule visits across the country or across the world with months going in between when these companies could get real data as to whether their medicines were safe or not um, that's an unacceptable state of affairs so I think if we use technology to increase the visibility of, of how these patients are doing um, the right medicines get to market. So is there anything um, basically, you know, with, and I'll throw this question to both of you, is there anything set up that actually provides a safety measure for the patients going into these trials? I mean, there's all this paperwork that they have to sign, um, but, I mean, is there anything that is is set up? I mean, have you guys thought of that? So to make them feel safe? Mm-hmm. Or to actually provide for their safety so that they're, you know, it's not, you know, if we've got data that's sitting in a tractor trailer, um, and yet it's still moving to the next phase. Like, how, what's what's set up in this process that's actually going to provide a safety measure for the patients that they're not being exposed to something or something's not going through that shouldn't be going through? So they have, um, I mean, a lot of animal tests are done prior to anything ever being given to humans. Um, I did pharmacology as my undergrad, so I'm a super nerd when it comes to this stuff, but. They actually will test up to 10 times the amount they'll ever give to a human in animals first. Um, And then they have, so phase one studies, um, spoke about phase three studies before, but phase one studies will be in healthy volunteers, um, which is the first in human studies. And those are done under, I mean, they're done in hospitals and you are watched and you don't leave. And so that's how they kind of make sure that the medication is safe. Um, In terms of people losing data, um, that definitely can happen. I'm pretty sure that's happened and been covered up a number of times. Um, we've also had, you know, research sites that we work with have paper binders of patients' information, um, which they argue they're doing because they're worried about safety of using a platform like ours. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially that can get lost, which is really worrying. Yeah, we, we've uh, heard stories like that time and time again. Um, I think the, the, the unusual bit about this industry compared to other industries is that the reason people get into it primarily is because they care about other people. And so what gets in the way of patient safety is not a lack of caring for it, not earnestness. That's there in this industry more than any other industry, I would argue. Uh, I would argue that it's the infrastructure that gets in the way of patient safety. Um, for example, the the area, the only area today before our technology has come around where there's reliable remote access to this data is when a patient gets sick taking one of the medications that's experimental. It's called an adverse event. And they require the doctors and nurses to stop their day, gather up all this paper from the three-ring binders, uh, and fax it or FedEx it back to this doctor's office. Um, those doctors and nurses have stopped caring for patients during that time because they have to shuffle paperwork. Um, so I think, you know, when you ask um, who's looking out for patient safety, without question, the doctors and nurses in this space are. They just have stupid paperwork tasks that get in their way. Yeah, but, I mean, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. The the pro- I mean, both of your businesses are set up where they're being basically funded by pharmaceuticals. So, mm-hmm. The, the basically the the pharmaceuticals the pharmaceutical companies their goal is to get something to market 
you know, to stay in trial, you know, they're not making money when it's in trial. Really? So, you know, again, is there are there s safeties or, you know, how does the process that you guys are, are setting up, well, how does it prevent just a pure play on the pharmaceuticals part to basically get these things to market? Well, their aim is, yes, to get things to market. But one of the reasons um, that their, their aim is to also stop it if it's not going to work. So it's in their best interest to, as soon as they figure out there's an adverse event, um, is to stop those trials because these trials are costing them, you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars a day. Um, so it's in their best interest to kind of stop it as quickly as possible. Um, they're not just going to kind of try and push it through because essentially when it gets to market, then they're going to be stuck with their PR nightmare. And there's there's something, now we're really getting into the nerddom of, of how clinical trials run. There's a, a change that took place in part with this regulatory change that allows remote access to data that our company is founded on that allows a different type of analysis of safety data. Um, the industry buzzword is risk-based monitoring, and that allows these pharmaceutical companies to actually stop looking at certain types of data. They can make an assertion at the beginning of the study that we're not going to worry about blood pressure in this study. This drug really doesn't affect blood pressure, and so they stop monitoring it. Our point of view is that that opens up risk unnecessarily. If you have technology that can allow them to look at all the data points that they gather from a patient in a study, why shouldn't they? Um, so we spend a lot of time in uh, the industry meetings that we go to having that discussion that this isn't an opportunity to look at less data. That just opens up the company to risk and spending more money. As Bethany pointed out, it opens up the patient to risk. Let's use technology to uh, see as much data as we can. We've been talking with experts in the clinical trial space, Bethany Bray, CEO of AutoCruitment, the platform that helps organizations conducting research to be able to identify and recruit patients into their studies, making them available to those folks. And then, of course, Ryan Jones, CEO of Florence Healthcare, that is an organization that facilitates the flow of the clinical data from one point to another. And, and, and I guess I'm kind of slow on the uptake sometimes, but... For, for, to make sure I understand exactly what we're doing, part of what we're what I hear you saying is that we take the, the three ring binder of data on patient Diana, yep, and we need to get it over to this other uh, entity that that's going to do further study or further uh, data processing, whatever the case may be. And so part of it is digitizing to some extent. You allow them rather than to have to ship it or have somebody come look at it, you're digitizing that. They scan it, that's right. fax it, whatever, and then you digitize it. Uh, and facilitate or, or the most flow. importantly, it stays digital from the beginning. Uh, you mentioned the 85% EHR penetration. Uh, we're connecting up to those EHR systems, so it never turns in the paper. So it's one one seamless. So you're working on an interoperability platform, if you will, that will allow you to plug into Cerner and plug into Epic. Yeah, and all That's these right. other ones. Power Chart, Practice Fusion. Uh, yeah, and and we've been lucky that um, getting back to some of the data security and data access chops that our team has, um, we've been able to create some intellectual property around just that. Um, and so like Bethany's investors were chomping at the bit to make her platform available to other applications. Um, someday we'll be able to treat other problems in healthcare with regard to EHR connectivity, but we think this is the most important one now. Do you also handle that over-the-road logistics side of things, too? You talked about a couple of truckloads of, of paper information. Do we you talk handle a, that, too? We talk about no? Scannerman a lot, whether we should hire 
um, folks to come in like in a you know Tom Clancy novel and storm the hospital and scan all the documents and at one time scan a man <laughs> but we haven't uh, we haven't we haven't found exactly who that superhero should be yeah, yet we blue tights are yellow yeah right yeah that's right <laughs> so not, not quite yet that that could be a minute you know there's businesses that do a good job with that uh, EDM Americas is in Raleigh and uh, you know there's companies like Iron Mountain um, you know eventually um, you know that may be part of our business and do you interface with them at all in terms of kind of beginning to formalize? I mean, when you're talking about tens or hundreds of research sites, is there, how much variance is there from the pieces of paper that I'm writing on here versus site B versus site Z? Do you see what I'm saying? I do. Do you help, say, help with their, your clients that you work with to kind of somewhat formalize maybe at the, at the launch of, of that? Uh, it would seem that there could be some measure of freelancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's been a, pro I think there's two issues there. One is I have a question for Bethany around that because I think we share some of that standardization and specialization problem. The other is sort of the sad story about clinical research historically has been innovative technology companies generally turn into co consulting agencies. They turn into these things called contract research organizations because it's often easier to throw people at a thorny problem than it is technology. And often that turns out to be short-sighted. By throwing people at the problem, you solve that, the problem for that particular hospital or that particular sponsor, but you don't build a platform that's scalable that can make a real change to how therapies get to market. Um, so, yeah, that specialization problem has persisted and has, has sort of fought back technologies for a while. Uh, but I had a, a question for Bethany around you're experiencing what we've ex what we're experiencing now too, which is this is an enormous industry. About thirty billion dollars is spent on clinical trials every year. We started out because this problem takes place with everyone participating in this industry. We sort of casted a wide net and figured out really quickly um, that we had to specialize in a certain types of clinics and the certain types of sponsors. How did how did you guys figure that out, and what, why oncology? Why is that the most? How did you end up there? Um, so I think for us, it's just the ease of finding the patients. Um, essentially, we have a cost associated with pretty much every um, therapeutic area. So we have accountants that will sit and work out kind of which therapeutic areas it's more expensive to find patients for, and mm -hmm. oncology is just a great one for us because there are so many people online. Um, but you are right, the CROs, they, they're more open to working with us in oncology. Um, so I think that because the space is, you know, there's so much money being thrown mm -hmm. at it, um, they don't have as much experience in it. It's not as easy to kind of build a TV and radio ad around cancer as it is asthma. Um, so they're kind of more open-minded in the oncology space. And that's, I think, honestly why when we look at kind of all of our opportunities, a good 70% of them are oncology. Um, it's just a more open-minded space right now. So who are your competitors for both of you? Yeah, for us, uh, our chief competitor is our email accounts and fax machines. Um, but after that, there are companies that have been very good at what we describe as static parts of, and talk, you know, talk about the really boring part, they just handle regulatory documents. They don't care about patient data. And so there's there's companies that become very big, publicly traded, billion-dollar valuations, just handling, you know, FDA 1572 forms, right? It's crazy that this industry is that big so that they could be that specialized. Um, if 
so we worry a little bit about them getting into the dynamic data space where we are, but we feel like we know more than anyone else in the world right now about how remote monitoring this transition is affecting the doctors and nurses that do real research, and we think that gives us a, a material advantage. So similarly, we, which I think is the case with most technology, we have competing solutions, which would be kind of TV, radio, print advertising. Um, we do have then one competitor, Curian, um, who have been around for forever and, and do something similar, um, but in a very different way. They essentially have a huge database of patients that want to take part in clinical trials, but this kind of is a, another static solution and that they will take that database and then they send mail outs to them. So again, they're kind of going back to slowing things up. Um, our argument and how we're different is that the patients we find will have signed up to take part in a clinical trial within 24 hours. So that patient is desperate to take part right now. They didn't sign up two years ago. They aren't potentially moved. They aren't potentially have deceased from the disease. Um, but they, I would say, are our biggest competitor when people really think of patient recruitment. Um, they're also phenomenally expensive. They tend to come in at the end of a study when you really have no other option. Mm -hmm. um, we've tried to lower our price points um, so that people can bring us in at the beginning so that we're not kind of the, a last-minute solution. They can use us in the beginning instead of or as well as a TV and radio so we really do help speed the trial up. Um, we're not kind of at the end coming in and holding a gun to the head and saying you have to pay X amount of money. <laughs> so we have investors that would rather us do the latter, but just in terms of changing the industry, um, I think that we're really looking to have a lower price point and be used throughout the study. So where do you both see yourselves in you know five years from now? <laughs> Besides on a beach and... Yeah, no, that's that's probably not in the cards. Uh, we want to make a meaningful impact. Uh, it's so clear to us in talking with doctors and nurses that this is getting in the way of cures. And it's also so clear to us, and we may, we're sort of a voice crying out in, in, in the wilderness, in the darkness, because we've seen the technology side and how technology can, has fixed this in other industries, that this is a meaningful problem. So... In five years, uh, we have a goal of 10,000 trial sites, helping 10,000 trial sites with this document shuffle and uh, making them get trials done faster. Is that under promise, over deliver? Because that doesn't seem, five years from now, that doesn't seem like that many, especially for a technology solution. Uh, boy, are you on my board? <laughs> yeah, she's, I should she's be. cruel. That's <laughs> tough. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think that's fair. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're going to get that done. And who do you need to meet? Who do you need to partner with? Who's going to help you or what's going to help you hit your 10,000 plus? Yeah, so we, as I mentioned, we make money from the sponsors, but we think we get there in a roundabout way uh, or in a complimentary way. We just on Friday launched our first free tool for hospitals that run clinical trials for doctors and nurses and coordinators that run these clinical trials. Um, it helps them with a particular part of the process where they keep patient information safe when they're transferring these documents around. It helps them do that. Um, so what we need is uh, clinicians that are running these trials to try out the software and start using it as part of their daily activity. So we never actually had you answer. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, so 
we're kind of uh, in a situation which I'm sure a lot of people are where we're finding more and more problems as we go. Um, the patient recruitment piece, we do think we have a solution to. I mean, it has been live for the past year. It is working. Um, that's more kind of a, a sales cycle situation now. Pharmaceutical companies do take a long time to make decisions. Um, but ultimately, we're moving on to so- solve more and more problems. We now speak with hospitals that have problems matching their own patients to their own trials. Um, we're starting to pilot some big oncology hospitals in those areas. Um, so much as I would like to be on the beach in five years, I think we'll probably be just solving the next problem, either as the same company or a new company. It's it's one of those industries that when you really get into it, there are so many things that need to be done and um, that it's kind of hard to walk away from. It must be hard for both of you to actually then specialize and stick to one thing at a time. And, you know, I know that most investors and also boards are, you know, you can be everything to everyone, but, you know, to actually build a business, it's one thing at a time. So how do you prevent yourself from going off? And I mean, there are a lot of problems in the space that we're all working in. How do you prevent yourself from kind of chasing the next shiny thing? So we'll only allocate kind of 5% of resources to solving any one problem. And we're, I mean, we're still a really small team. So we have to be really How sure. small are you? Um, there's still only, we have, I'd say, six full-time employees. And then we have a lot of part-time people that are contractors, but pretty much only do this now. Um, I'd say in total, probably around 15 people. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, when we add additional problem solving um, it's usually on an existing contract with a tr- client we're already working with um, and that's our software so it doesn't really take away that much from kind of day-to-day human resources um, but that's definitely a problem when we had opportunities from hospitals to find patients for just their general procedures that was my biggest worry um, and still is to kind of make sure that we do stay focused um, we have good investors that kind of reel us back in when we get overexcited. And what about you, Ryan? How do you prevent yourself from chasing after the next shiny thing? Yeah, someone had quipped last week uh, the quote, let's do both is on tombstones for failed technology companies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so we fight that. We fight that every day. Um, You know, part of what helps is having a a clinician on our team. I'm sure that helps with Bethany's experience on her team. you know, you have business people that aren't in the trenches that that can think things are good ideas or might make quick cash. But if you stay close to the people that actually use your tool, uh, that helps you keep focused. Well, the thing with entrepreneurs is they never stop being entrepreneurs. So, uh, you know, that's also a thing that the next shiny thing, it's like I can, I can, you know, here's both of you seem like you're visionary people. So I'm sure it's a discipline, you know, especially at two in the morning when you're lying in bed and going, I can solve that problem too. (laughs) Yeah, I think that I definitely am an entrepreneur, but having done this, I know how hard it is to really get something started. Um, I think the first year is by far the hardest. Sounds Um, like marriage. Yeah. So I I just think kind of we've got through the first year, we have clients um, as much as, as appealing as the next thing seems. I know that, you know, that first year is so hard. So it's kind of helps me stay focused and keep my feet on the ground. What about you, Ryan? Uh, how's my marriage? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. We can go there. <laughs> we Although we, we only have four minutes. <laughs> marriage is great, but it, it is, um, there's so much opportunity and so much to be fixed in our space. And we have this nice double bottom line where not only does it appeal to me as an entrepreneur that you can make a buck and build a business. 
but it appeals to me that you can make a change in an industry that's worth changing. Um, and so that makes discipline extremely hard. Um, one of the things that that helps is uh, is rhythms, and I learned this from a guy who was my manager at Microsoft, who is who is outstanding, uh, Jared Spatera, who now runs a few billion dollars uh, worth of revenue for Microsoft. Anyway, he uh, he makes us do the same thing every week, and look what we did that last week, and that keeps you from throwing crazy ideas and onto the pile, um, and it keeps us moving forward. Tell people where to get in touch with Florence. Yeah, so uh, we do have an internet website. We're florencehc.com. Uh, so Florence as in healthcare, florencehc.com. And if you're a clinician and want to try out our tool, it's available through that site. And so before we get to Bethany and, and sign off here, uh, where did the name Florence came, come from? Why Florence? Uh, Florence N Nightingale. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought it was like your grandmother or, you know. Had a feeling it was Florence Nightingale. I wanted a better story than that. Oh, <laughs> you're a tough customer. Yeah. <laughs> and make sure you remember, coming up on September 16th is the next big Health Connect South event going to be held at the Georgia Aquarium. The last one we I went to last year was awesome at the Woodruff Art Center. I'm sure this one's going to be even better. You can go to the healthconnectsouth.com website to, to register and make sure that if you do that, you use the promo code RADIOX. You'll get $100 off of your registration fee. And it's absolutely worth it. Make sure you take lots of cards. There's going to be all kinds of healthcare experts there to meet and that will want to know about you and your solutions. To our guests, Bethany Bray and Ryan Jones, thanks so much. Thanks. We really appreciate you. And Diana, thanks for being a part of it. And Always to Russ LaPerry, who's sitting in with us quietly in the background today. <laughs> from Health Connect South. And to all the folks who made us a part of your day-to-day, -day, we really appreciate you. Check us out on Twitter, HealthCon Radio. Link up with us there. And then go to the top left-hand corner of the Health Connect South Radio show page to the Apple icon. Follow that over to the iTunes Health Connect South podcast and subscribe so that you can keep up with all the healthcare experts that we're bringing to you on a weekly basis. So, everybody, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see everybody same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.